1: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
0: Thank you, sir. Good afternoon. Good to have you with us. First day of the new quarter. Welcome to October the 1st. And as we head headlong into the final quarter of the year, hope you're doing well. And hope your family is healthy and safe. And uh, thank you for taking us along today. Keep you company on the ride, or maybe you're at home whipping up a little bit of dinner, or whatever might be on the agenda, whatever it is. Thank you so much for the privilege of spending some time with you. we got a full agenda tonight, so I want to get right down to cases. But let me begin with a, a critical update concerning fire conditions here in Northern California. The glass fire. We talked about this last night with a representative from CAL FIRE. The glass fire is burning in Napa and Sonoma counties and regretfully was able to jump containment lines late last night. That means new orders for new evacuations. So this is an advancement of the fire now into Angwin. Um, And there have unfortunately been the loss of a number of properties on Bell Canyon Road and Quail Run Road as well. New mandatory evacuations are now in order in Napa County for all areas of Napa County north of the Calistoga City Limits, that's between Highway 128 and the Sonoma County Line and Highway 29. Also, all addresses on both sides of Highway 29 between the Calistoga City Limits and Lake County Line, all addresses on Old Lawley Toll Road. And areas west of Oakville, specifically the area south of South Whitehall Lane, north of Bella Oaks, west of the Sonoma County line, including the 500 block and greater of Wall Road. So, unfortunately, I I, I really hesitate to say it, but it's starting to feel like a repeat of the threat that we saw to Calistoga in the uh, 2017 fire. So uh, be safe. Make sure you're following the instructions of local authorities when they tell you you need to evacuate. Do it for the sake of your family. Do it for the sake of the firefighters that are doing their best. And, you know, when they have to rescue people, it, it takes them away from the lines, and that means the fire gets an opportunity to spread. So we all really seriously need to do our part during this extended fire season emergency. All right, let's uh, turn a corner to uh, other business. You uh, perhaps watched it Tuesday night, the first of three presidential debates, although some pontificators out there say it didn't feel very presidential and it certainly didn't seem like a debate. I have to wonder, at the end of the day, just how valuable These uh, supposed dialogues are, and whether or not they really succeed at doing anything more than having each side in their team cheer for their respective team, like going to watch a football game. I mean, does anybody go to a a um, Rams San Francisco game and walk away saying, "You know, I think now I'm going to start becoming a Rams fan"? Probably not, right? You you tend to stick with your own team. In which case, then. Oftentimes, those that may potentially be on the line uh, may be dissuaded in not the fashion you were hoping for, unintended consequences. And certainly, there's a, a bit bopping around between the Beltway and across the country in the wake of the debate Tuesday and, and whether or not the two that remain could be potentially um, as awkward. Joining me now is former Washington Times conservative political writer. He continues to be a conservative commentator on social and political news of the day. You can read his insights and musings online at drlarryonline.com. And it's always a delight to have with us Dr. Larry Fedowa. And doctor, always good to have you carve out a little time in your schedule to be with us. What's your take? You had a chance, as we all did, I think, to watch what happened. It just seemed to me that it... it it, 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 well, certainly Chris Wallace, and as is someone who has moderated political debates myself in the past, it's no easy job, but you like to hope that the moderator doesn't run out of control or lose control so fast and so largely as quite apparently Chris Wallace did. What happened? What's your take on this?
2: Well, <clears throat> I think that... Uh, thank, you, thank you, by the way, for the uh, introduction... Um, I think that, uh, we, uh, we have, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to describe what actually, what happened there, uh, in our, uh, in in that encounter, but, um, basically I think that, you know, on my show last night, I had, I had two, uh, two, uh, guests, male guests, and, uh. I had come out in print saying that I thought it was kind of a, a waste, really, of the precious time and, and attention of 100 million people uh, because of the way in which it was conducted. And it turned out that the, uh, my two male guests thought that uh, I was wrong on that and that uh, Mr. Trump had actually done a, a good job and, and, and won the night. And uh, then, then we talked about our wives. And they said both of them said they, they watched their wives and I watched my wife. and it turned out that the wives were three to three to nothing in favor of uh, Biden. so
0: hmm. um, <laughs> just the opposite. <laughs> I, I, think,
2: I think that the idea of appealing to the uh, suburban housewife might not, have, might not might not have worked for uh, Mr. Trump anyway. Uh, I, I thought it was uh, there was really quite a bit of substance on on the Trump side. On the uh, Biden side, there was virtually nothing uh, but uh, vague and sort of sentimental uh, reaction and, and when he didn't get uh, kind of mad under hot under the collar. But nevertheless, I think that it was just uh, it was not a, not well done, and uh, and I think that in the future they're now talking about trying to change the rules, which uh, I have two comments on that. Number one. You better you better talk directly to mr. Trump because it's pretty obvious nobody tells him what to do and you better get his cooperation and his assent to whatever it is you want to do uh, because uh, if you don't <laughs> you're going to you're going to make up his own rules uh, secondly the uh, I think that I think that I <coughs> sympathize with Trump on on the uh, role of the moderator I think that that, that role had just gotten completely out of hand, where you have two uh, of the most distinguished Americans uh, in the game r- right now, and no matter what year it is, uh, facing each other. And then you have some, uh, uh, some toe-headed uh, 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 correspondent who probably doesn't know much more now than they did when they were in journalism school Asking questions and taking, really taking advantage of the, uh, of their position to, uh, uh, take partisan positions on it. I think the control of the, of the substance really ought to be between the, between the candidates. Let them ask each other what their, what their positions are on things and then, you know, have, have responses accordingly because people, people really don't care what the, what the, uh, press person thinks. They really care what the what the, uh, the candidates think, and and
0: well, and and directly to your point, I mean, there, there were a couple of absolutely and directly, Doctor Fedewa. To your point, there were not only a number of what clearly appeared to be gotcha questions, up to and including when you hear the moderator say something like, "Mr. President, you're going to like this next question." Well, the question shouldn't be designed to please or displease either of the candidates, but rather engage them in where they stand on the issues, what Biden would do if he gets the nod, what the president would do with four more years. And so when you're engaging in some of the, the gotcha type questions, it, it, it does tend to help um, sort of drive the entire dialogue uh, into a pretty deep hole. And the other thing, to your point, that I think is quite fascinating, most of these people, Chris Wallace included, have multiple opportunities throughout a campaign cycle to be able to sit with the candidates and ask questions. The one thing I think that Americans would be really fascinated in hearing, and that is not what Chris Wallace thinks the president ought to do, but rather what do Americans think. And the idea of listener or or voter submitted questions that can then be approved and then be posed that might have a tendency, I would wonder in your opinion, Doctor, to kind of tame a bit of the, the, the overt sense of it being politicized by the very moderator or moderators who were designed to step away from allowing it to become politicized in one direction or another, wouldn't you think?
2: I think that you're you're speaking in kind of a town, town hall type of uh, format. I think that's a good idea. <clears throat> and And I don't think that I think that they would be much more respectful of the uh, voters than they are of each other, at least if, uh, if last night or uh, two nights ago was any any indicator. I think that's a good idea.
0: And and clearly, you know, to, to, to the credit of both of them, I think that the, the performance levels, if you really take a step back and not think of what you would hope to have seen, but rather what you could have expected uh the the president is not one who is a wallflower that's just you know a shrinking violet as they say uh he's going to come out punching which is what he did in all of the previous debates in 2015 2016 and so why we would expect this to be any different i don't know moreover the performance of joe biden seemed to be a little bit uh uh less than right on the mark and I don't think that that necessarily surprised anybody either, so I guess in a in a sense, we kind of got what we what we should have expected to begin with it it's It's sad that there was less substance once it kind of devolved into this, uh, you know, almost playground type, uh, debate with everybody talking over everybody. And I think maybe one of the telling comments that the president made fairly early on in the debate, when he said that he felt as if he was debating not just Joe Biden, but Chris Wallace as well. Now that, that really should have said something to Mr. Wallace.
2: Yeah, but he, he's been doing that right along. You know, you mentioned that, that, that they, they have plenty of opportunity to, uh, Talk to uh, the press and ask their questions. Well, he had he had a whole hour on uh, Fox News with one-on-one interrogation of the president. He he know he knows what he thought, and uh, but he's he, he's just you know he's kind of a a liberal in uh, in conservative clothing there. So I uh, I think that that's not that's not very helpful.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to see as they they wish to sort of retool, and you're going to have entirely different sets of personalities in in the next two debates upcoming, and it will be fascinating to see uh, the way the presidential committee on debates uh, retools any of this, I think you're apt in pointing out that uh, whatever significant changes to the rules that they wish to uh, put in place, uh, they better get everybody's approval on it. Otherwise, they could they could wind out with a wind up with another repeat performance. More insights from Dr. Fedowa online. Just check out his website, Dr. Larry. Doctor's abbreviated, by the way, Dr. Larry. Online.com. Our thanks to former Washington Times conservative political writer Dr. Larry Fedowa for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. 518, let's get a look at traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: All right, welcome back to the conversation. Well, as we said, mercifully, the third quarter is finally over with and while september wasn't a very exciting month it it certainly left us in positive territory across the board let's get a look at how the markets performed both at the end of q3 as well as the end of the final first day rather of q4 alex perry joins us premier financial advisor with Vitucci and associates and uh, alex as we uh, wrap up the uh, third quarter and it launched today officially q1 how do we do (laughs) Thanks, Greg, for
3: having me on again. Well, today and this week has been pretty flat, and September was the worst month we've seen since uh, March, actually. The Dow closed about 2% down for the month, the S&P about 4% down, and also the NASDAQ composite about 5% down. But mind you, Q3 has been a quite stellar uh, quarter, with the Dow up about 7.5%, the S&P up about Eight and a half percent, and also the Nasdaq kind of rock and rolling with eleven percent surge. So going forward, we're kind of hoping a little optimistic into a kind of shaky electoral cycle, as we saw with the debates this week. Kind of it's a who knows kind of game there.
0: Yeah, to be sure, and of course, with all this, uh, folks will no doubt have their eye. On what may transpire coming up in just uh, my goodness barely a month now as we head into the November election, which uh, may be a game changer, time will certainly tell on that typically this season, this period of time, as we head into the anticipation of the holidays, will be around the corner before we know it and uh, and then new year's Eve, which I think most folks will be celebrating. <laughs> with great gusto, given the kind of 2020 (laughs) we've collectively had. That said, is this an important time of the year with three months left to to make some reevaluations, Alex, in terms of what you've done so far in your investments vis-a-vis a 401k or an IRA with an eye toward the future? and. And and always, I think, with the notion that uh, what did well last month or last quarter may not be the market sector to be in in coming days and weeks into the 2020 year, uh, 2021.
3: That's a great point. Yeah, it always is a good time going towards the end of the year to kind of reevaluate the year. Look back, obviously, looking back, hasn't been a great 2020 as we've been mitigating this, this pandemic and whatever else has been throwing at us this year but it is a good time to have a conversation with your financial advisor and kind of be like, okay, well, this is what the year did. This is what's going forward. These are my plans and kind of reevaluate your strategy because, you know, this year kind of threw everyone a curveball. Nobody saw March happening and nobody really saw this, you know, social distancing, stay at home Corona crisis happening anyway. So really giving it a look, understanding what your goals are going forward and kind of reevaluating, like I said, your risk tolerance more than anything and really, into the next quarter, you know, into election anyways is one of the more volatile times that we see every four years as the incumbent might be replaced by the new Democratic president. Uh, and kind of just understanding, like, can my portfolio, my portfolio take any more risks? Do I really want to be on this roller coaster that I've been kind of experiencing this year? Maybe divesting, getting a little bit less risky, maybe a little bit more conservative could be a, um, a pathway for a lot of people.
0: And to be sure, you know, this year, even for those with strong stomachs, um, it's been a pretty tumultuous year, uh, albeit we saw an amazing recovery on Wall Street from uh, the dip that occurred in March to where things are at today. Sadly, uh, that has not really been mirrored by Main Street's economy. And as we're hearing these stories about airlines collectively maybe laying off tens of thousands of people and challenges certainly in Congress trying to get more um, more support packages, more stimulus money passed. What are some of the key things that investors should be looking at when it comes to developing a strategy? And I use that term intentionally, Alex, because a lot of people, I think, kind of take the, well, you know, the guy that lives next door to me said that he put some money in this particular stock and he seems (laughs) to be doing well, so I'm going to do the same thing. You know, you maybe overhear a conversation on BART riding into work, and you think, oh, there's the place that I ought to be. And it's more sort of hit-and-miss approach to retirement planning as opposed to having a real strategy in place. Why is a strategy important? Um, The kind of like a strategy what we focus on mostly is
3: kind of goal-oriented. Like anyone can pick a stock and let it ride, right? But understanding what are you trying to accomplish, what goals you're looking to kind of achieve into retirement especially, because the guy on the BART train might have a whole different set of objectives than you do. And really boiling that down and speaking with somebody that can kind of, you know, rationalize what you're trying to do and put it into a an objectable plan, an actionable list, being like, okay, well, let's divest out of this, move it into X, out of Y, and then kind of go there. You know, like I said, reevaluate risk tolerance as you reach close in retirement or kind of reevaluating just your life, what, what's going on. Like a lot of people, like I said, got thrown a curveball this year. Their, their 401k dropped by 20% in March, and now it's bounced back as we've seen the markets recover We've kind of gotten a second chance now going into the end of the year, and this is a really time to capitalize on the growth we've seen in the market and the bounce back we've really seen the recovery and kind of adjust your strategy, especially if you only have a few more years towards retirement. This is the best time to really talk to your professional and hammer out a plan going forward, really being plan-focused into this retirement stage that you're going to be experiencing the next few, you know few years, even if not in retirement. A financial plan is ideal for pretty much anyone at any stage.
0: You know, sadly, so many of us sort of set it and forget it, the notion that uh, we started the job or maybe the company changed um, plan providers. We made a couple of choices. And uh we see the money coming out of our paycheck every couple of weeks. We think we're doing okay. We don't pay much attention, if at all, to the statements that come in the mail. They're not necessary if you're in a uh, an IRA or a 401K. You don't have to worry about the tax consequences, and still you start withdrawing. And so you really don't – it's sort of the, the out of sight, out of mind. But that can be very dangerous, can't it, when you take the – as Pat Vitucci would say, take the uh, invest and forget approach. <laughs> <laughs> You, you can't even imagine how
3: many people we have conversations with where it'd be like, well, I think my money is at uh, this institution, and then we call that institution, it's not there, and then they look at the statement and they're like, wait, actually, it's over there, and they had no idea. But being financially conscious and understanding what's going on in your you know financial life is really important. Being in the know and having an open conversation with whatever advisor you're dealing with, and that's something I really stress with amongst all my clients is This relationship needs to be evolving. As your life evolves, changes, you need to be letting me know, and we can kind of adjust that strategy accordingly. Because what happened in 2019 is not what happened in 2020, and your life might be a lot different in 2021. And that needs to be an evolving kind of strategy with yourself. It can't be stagnant. It needs to kind of be evolving with you as your life changes and different hurdles come your way.
0: And that really goes back to the notion of having a strategy in place to take you from where you're at today in your working years to where you dream of being in your retirement years. Want some advice? Maybe a little help. Crafting that strategy that's just right for you. Well, certainly the entire team, including Alex Perry at Vitucci and Associates, there and happy to help. You can find out more by going online to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Hey, you can even take advantage of a complimentary financial health and retirement plan review, free for the asking. Even if you have a financial advisor, why not get a second opinion? Again, no cost or obligation. Go to Don'tInvestAndForget.com or call them toll-free at 888-PLANWISE. That's 888-PLANWISE. And you're invited to tune in to Pat's program, Don't Invest and Forget, heard Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. and a reprise broadcast Monday evenings at 6 p.m. on our sister station, Business Radio 1220, KDOW. Our thanks to Premier Advisor Alex Perry for that market update on this edition of Lifeline. 531, an update now on traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: All right, we're back here at 536, and I want to take a couple of moments if I can. We've got uh, scant 32 days with the election coming up, and it's important that you're on top of all of the um, critical issues that are facing California voters, of certainly um, the bevy of uh, ele- elected seats, as we are all... <laughs> Very well aware of, but the propositions perhaps not so well aware of, and as seems to be usual in most election cycles, a lot of the information that's out there, at least in terms of paid advertising, tends to be uh, either only telling part of the story or intentionally very deceptive, or maybe a little bit of both. So let's spend a couple of moments, if we can, to discuss a few of them. First, I want to start with Proposition 14. Now, As you may or may not recall, many years ago, there was the passage of a Proposition 71 here in California, which provided some $6 billion to essentially engage in fetal tissue research. And at the time, there were all kinds of amazing promises as to what would be done with all of this, We just simply needed access to more aborted babies in order to engage in it. We would come up with amazing cures for everything from Parkinson's to Lou Gehrig's disease and everything in between. Well, here we sit well over a decade later. None of those things have been accomplished. Adult stem cells have proven in many respects to be um, as successful, and we're not asking for taxpayers to pony up billions of dollars to engage in research that so far has not shown significant promise, but has proven that it is lethal to every one of the children that are aborted. Not to suggest that they're being aborted for the purpose of, but, you know, it's very convenient to use the altruistic approach that, we'll look at the good we will do out of. But, you know, the old adage, uh, two wrongs don't make a right, and the notion that somehow you're going to redeem aborted children by engaging in this kind of research just doesn't cut it. So Proposition 14, masquerading as a continuance of what we've done here, and it's easy with a lot of their promises of miracle cures to um, folks maybe in the public that are emotionally vulnerable. This is bad legislation, bad investment, and certainly morally quite bad, so I would recommend a no on proposition fourteen, proposition fifteen. Oh boy, talk about a bit of the um, deceptiveness here. Proposition fifteen masquerades as providing additional education dollars to deal with school repairs, replacements, more, of course, financial resources available to entities such as Planned Parenthood working on school campuses across the state. What Proposition 15 doesn't tell you is this is the slow dismantling of the Prop 13 of old, the one that allows so many Californians, particularly older Californians, to remain in their homes without getting financially gutted by the current tax rate for real estate. Now here they will tell you, oh no, this is only going to be dealing with the change in the Prop 13 restrictions related to commercial and industrial properties that once sold or before sold would move up to current full market value. Well, (laughs) imagine, number one, that this is going to be just Part one of two parts, because once they're done coming for commercial and industrial real estate, your house will be next. But as this attempts to chip away at Proposition 13, to give governments more unbridled access to cash, and then turn around and say we need to increase taxes further because we can't close our budget deficit because we overspent, The state, much like Washington, D.C., has never, ever learned to live within its means. And this is just another attempt to try and further that bad deficit spending and do so to the demise of all of us. And I say that because don't think for a moment that anyone who owns commercial or industrial property is not going to pass the significant increase in taxes to the tune of millions of dollars on to the consumer. That would be you and me. So Proposition 15 lies to you and tells you this is all about improving school infrastructure when in fact this is just a way to get deeper into your wallets and at a time when businesses across the country, not let alone the state, across the country are suffering in the wake of COVID-19, do you think a struggling restaurant owner wants to be told that, like it or not, your rent is going up because the property taxes have been increased in the middle of a significant economic downturn, the likes of which we haven't seen since the Great Depression, and a pandemic that hasn't been around for over a century? And now we think it's a good time to pull the wool over your eyes, talk about the altruistic approach to provide dollars for education in California, when in fact this is really about a money grab. They will start with commercial and industrial properties and they will end with your house. So don't buy into the lie, a significant recommendation for a no vote on Proposition 15. See what else I want to hit here before time runs out on me. Dooby dooby doo, doo 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 do doo. Oh, here's another gem. This'll be quick. Proposition 18 would allow the voting age in California to be reduced on the local elections to 17 years old. 17 year olds will be allowed to vote in primary and special elections elections, 17-year-olds. Now, the argument goes that, well, we don't have enough people involved in the political process, and when the average uh, percentile of registered and qualified voters that actually turn out is something like 35%, somehow some misguided individual thinks that a 17-year-old is going to suddenly increase our voter participation in California. So let me see if I get this right. A 17-year-old who is interested in the next date he or she is going on or the next video game that they're going to be playing or buying a new car or where they might be headed when they graduate from high school to college or getting that summer job or who they're dating, they are going to be instead interested in helping to participate in democracy. Now, I think young people should absolutely be encouraged to be fully participatory in democracy. But there's a reason why 17-year-olds today are not allowed to vote, because they're still technically children. And if this was an attempt to try to right some wrong with a class that had been denied their constitutional right to voting, there might be an argument there. But that's not the case here. I'm not exactly sure what the proponents of Proposition 18 think that they're going to accomplish here other than giving additional opportunities for young people to help vote on propositions that will put more money in the pockets of organizations like Planned Parenthood and others. It, it, this is just, it's its premature, it's a bit crazy, and it certainly, at least on face value, is not going to go one smidgen in the direction of what it intends to do or purports to do, and that is to increase voter participation. You want to increase voter participation, make the process easier, require people to vote, give them a small penalty if they don't, do the dip the thumb in the indelible ink once they voted so you can't vote twice, set aside three or four days in which voting can take place, make sure that every registered voter is a citizen has to prove that they are a citizen in order to register and then is given some kind of a voter ID card for all of us and don't tell me we're trying to somehow lock certain people out. No, by no means. The only people we're trying to lock out from voting are those that are not qualified from voting to vote. And instead of putting up barriers toward voting, make it easier. If you do that, you might just get more participation in the voting process. Oh, and one more idea run rosters of candidates that are moral, honest, are running because they care about their community or their country, and not just trying to line their pockets. Now, there might be a way to get people involved in voting. Just give them quality people to vote for. We need more of that, don't we? All right, 548, let's get a look at traffic.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
0: All right, well, um, speaking of crazy things that happen in Sacramento, that seems to be an ongoing theme these days. Yesterday, we talked about the governor putting forward an executive order that would say all internal combustion engines in California by 2035, gone. No discussion about how that's going to happen. Replace them with EV cars. Where do you get the power to charge the cars? It gets very complicated very quickly. But at least, while there might be significant economic implications to an order like that, I I don't know that there are many moral ones. But Assembly Bill 2218, oh boy, there is a measure that is wrought with significant moral implications. And, And it, in a sense, while it masquerades as trying to help people, what it really does is take enormous advantage of young children in essentially assisting them in making, at a young age, decisions that have irreversible consequences. There is simply no going back. Let's find out what exactly this bill is signed by the governor and why it's so dangerous. Jonathan Keller joins us, president of the California Family Council and. Jonathan, i got to tell you, I've lived in California my entire life. I've seen some crazy governors. I've seen some crazy legislatures come up with some crazy bills. But this one here has got to really take the cake.
1: Well, Craig, first off, thanks so much for letting me join you again. It's always good to be with you and your listeners.
0: I agree with you.
1: I a lot of times you see the things coming out of Sacramento. Sometimes you chuckle. Sometimes you shake your head. You know, sometimes you just are at a loss for words. Uh, But in this case, I I don't know really what other response there should be other than, frankly, horror and uh, outrage. Um, Just to clarify for your listeners, you did a great job of summing it up, but basically what Assembly Bill 2218 does is it would create a new fund, a transgender wellness fund, that would not only legalize, not only offer, these types of quote-unquote treatments, whether they are uh, puberty-blocking drugs, whether they are uh, cross-sex hormones, whether they are even surgeries. And to clarify, when we say surgeries, I, I know it's a family show, I want to be careful, but um, amputations, let's just put it that way, are removing healthy body parts from one biological sex uh in the idea that uh it would quote unquote uh be a change operation a sex change operation this would not only be legal this would now be funded by the state of California and wow. it would be funded again without a real age limit uh, obviously you would in some of these cases it would have to be around puberty if it's the case of puberty blocking drugs the surgeries i do want to say just just to be accurate That would be something that is required of an 18-year-old. But we are talking now about the state of California incentivizing and underwriting types of procedures and treatments that could leave people permanently sterilized, uh, in addition to all the other health problems that come along with uh, so-called transgender treatment.
0: So so a young child comes along and he or she, based on peer influence, a newspaper article they read, something they've seen on TV, thoughts in their mind, whatever, announces that they are dealing with this confusion. And so rather than get them counseling, rather than help them understand the totality of uh, the implications of a wrong decision might be, and, and really allowing them to do some maturing before they make what is quite clearly, an irreversible decision with irreversible consequences. Now, instead, we're going to allow them headlong into this. And as you point out, the, the consequences are up to and including sterilization. Now, I've got to ask you a question, and I, and I re- realize that you're, 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 you're not a physician yourself. But you look at this on face value just as, as another human being. And I have to ask the question, and I know some listeners are going to think I'm I'm trying to go for the the extreme example here, and and I'm really not, (laughs) not for shock sake, but for just simple sake of discussion, what is the difference between this kind of measure supporting these actions with young children making decisions that can have irreversible harm to their bodies What's the difference between that kind of experimentation and what Joseph Mengele was doing in Germany in the 1940s?
1: Well, like you said, that, that that's a shocking consideration, but that is something that I think a lot of parents and a lot of California citizens, even if you're not a parent, you really need to consider. Um, the reality is that many of these treatments, quote unquote, uh, are just as untested just as potentially dangerous as other types of medical experimentation that has been outlawed by civilized nations. I mean, the reality is that we do not have long-term studies, whether the mental, the emotional, or the physiological effects of a lot of these drugs and devices, a lot of these surgeries and treatments. And we have seen multiple times through the year when California Family Council was blessed enough to Uh, be a voice for sanity and for science in the Capitol. We had multiple men and women come to the Capitol who had either uh, struggled with gender dysphoria themselves. We had doctors who had uh, done the research, including a great endocrinologist from the Sacramento area, Dr. Michael Laidlaw. We had Laura Perry, who was a young lady. Uh, She transitioned from a woman, a biological woman, to a man. She spent part of her early uh, 20s living as a man. And ultimately, she came to realize that despite all of the affirmations, despite the drugs, despite the surgery, she was not any happier. In fact, she was more miserable at the end of that process than she was at the start. And by God's grace, she has an incredible testimony of of, uh, Jesus giving her true peace and hope and freedom and delivering her from uh, that, that lifestyle and from the uh, the internal conflict
0: that she found herself with. But well, and, of course, the, reality- the irony is, you know, let, let's put this in context. We're not talking about somebody who made a bad decision for a, a vacation destination, you know, and can say, wow, right. I went to XYZ City in such and such a country, and boy, did I have a miserable time. I got on the airplane, I'm so glad to be back home, I'll never do that again. We're, we're talking about decisions that are, are being placed into the hands of children that can have irreversible consequences that they will live with for an entire lifetime and, oh, by the way, all paid for by California taxpayers. Uh, you know, why this doesn't rank up there with an extreme case of child abuse that ought to have the author of the bill every signatory to the bill and the governor up on charges is beyond me but that said jonathan how did we respond to something as horrific as this
1: well i wish that i could tell you it was as simple as just uh calling your legislator telling them to vote no but the reality is that was our efforts for the last six months and adley Those efforts fell on deaf ears. The governor ignored the pleas of people. So I think our next step is a couple of things. Uh, Number one, I would say uh, go vote. And if you'd like to find out more about ways you can vote, if you'd like to find out how your particular legislator voted on this bill, you can go to our website californiafamily.org we have lots of information about this bill ab2218 on our website californiafamily.org we also have an email list i encourage you if you're not subscribed already uh we don't spam you we don't send out three emails a day like a uh, certain political campaign <laughs> we uh ah. we will send out about one one succinct email a week that gives you all the all the facts and figures about what's happening in sacramento that's number one respond and do that Uh, Number two, I would strongly encourage you, listen to the stories of the people who spoke out against this bill. Uh, On our YouTube channel, and our Facebook page, we have interviews with Laura Perry, uh, with uh, Dr. Quentin Van Meter, with lots of other individuals, men and women, who uh, lent their expertise to our fight against this bill. Educate yourself, educate your families and your children so that... Maybe it's not your family. Maybe it's not your kids that are ever going to be affected by this. But if they're in public school, I can almost guarantee you in the next couple of years, almost every child is going to know at least one person in their school that is struggling with gender dysphoria. And, and I think as followers of Jesus, we need to be prepared to be able to speak the truth, but also speak it in a way that is loving and compassionate and offers hope and healing that these people so desperately need
0: Absolutely. Undoubtedly, there will be degrees to which this is going to be challenged in the courts. We certainly hope. Meanwhile, as Jonathan mentioned, one of the most important things we can be doing as citizens at this stage is to be involved, get educated, and to vote. Details again on the web, californiafamily.org. That's californiafamily.org. Speaking specifically today to the danger of the, uh, what do we call it, the Mengele measure? I guess it is. AB 2218. Details again on the web, californiafamily.org. Here's a look at traffic.